Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Yeah, super pumped. I am, I've got a famous um, sales professional from the US, Victor Antonio, and he doesn't need any introduction. So welcome to the show, Victor. Luigi, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, fantastic, mate. So look, um, really excited about today and want to take some time to talk to you about you know everything to do with sales and really focus on the sales process and also talk a bit about the why, you know, finding the why in the sales process or finding the why and how people buy. Um, but before we get into it, do you mind sharing with us a bit about you and um, how you got into, involved in the world of sales? Well, I started out in uh, elect- as an electrical engineer. So my background is I have a BS in electrical engineering and an MBA. So I started out on the business side. And so I was designing, um, you know, different types of, you know, wireless or fiber optic systems. I worked in the telecom market. And to make a long story short, uh, I remember I designed a system, sold it, and I was an application engineer at the time. And I was working with this guy named Ken Cook, who was the sales guy. So we win the deal, and after we win the deal, guess what happens? You know, I, he takes me out to a $50 lunch, and he winds up getting a $50,000 commission check. Whoa. <laughs> Wake up call. Hey, maybe <laughs> I should be doing some of that. And yeah. so that's when I began looking at engineering. And then what happened was, coincidentally, they were looking for an account manager for Latin America. Yep. And I speak Spanish, and I used to travel to Latin America. And so it was a perfect opportunity for me to jump in you know, and really kind of take my revenues to the next level. That's what I love about selling. If you work for a great company who understands that, you know, money does motivate in a positive way by delivering value, and they give you a compensation plan that allows you to make as much money as you want based on how much you want to hustle for, you know, I said, let me do that. And that's actually how I got into sales. Oh, fantastic. So you were attracted by the money. Um, You saw a bit of a, you know, the, the, the shiny coin, and you decided to take that plunge. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people have this like adverse reaction when I say I did it for the money, right? They have this like real negative attitude about it. And I don't think people understand. Look, I believe sales is a noble profession. By that, I mean, what we do makes the economy move in any corporation and any company. We are the only profit center. Everybody else is a cost center, administrative cost center, marketing cost center, you know, GSNA cost center, manufacturing operations cost center. Salespeople are a profit center. Yeah. And so I'm always like, you know, we're the profit center, but I take it one step further. If I can sell you, your company, Luigi, on a product to help your business grow, that means you stay in business longer and you keep all your employees employed, right? Yep. Because I sold you a product that helped you with your business. There's nothing wrong with me making a small commission on that sale by helping your company. That's the true value for value I see and why I believe sales is a noble profession. Yeah, awesome. That's a great response. Just on that, when you were, before you got into sales, did you have any experiences with salespeople that um, – kind of made up a bit of a you know perception on on salespeople or did you have a good positive sort of view on on what a salesperson is you know it, that's a great question nobody's ever asked that question that's a really <laughs> great question Luigi and the answer is thus because I was an application engineer I was on loan to any salesperson that wanted to use me so for example yeah. you know sometimes the salesperson didn't have the technical background so they would bring me in to help them right And so what would then happen is I would come in and I was able to work with different salespeople. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was able to work with different salespeople. So I saw the gamut, my friend. I saw crappy salespeople (laughs) who basically made me do all the work. But then I saw other salespeople who just basically put, you know, gift wrapped it for me. All I had to do was put a bow on it to actually push the system. So I saw the whole range. And obviously, I gravitated towards those who knew what they were doing. And I watched and observed how they did it. Oh, this is awesome. So we're going a bit off track here. So look, you, you, you were a subject matter expert as an application engineer, working with mm-hmm. a range of salespeople, helping them sort of put solutions together. When, what were the behaviors that you exhibited or, or that you noticed that really good salespeople were exhibiting that stood out for you? The, I traveled with a guy, his name was Jose Santana. And 
you know, he had enough technical knowledge to be dangerous, right? Yeah. But I but I noticed that when I traveled with him, you know, these four-legged calls, we used to call them, right? Salesperson and application engineer, four legs. <laughs> so we did these four-legged calls. Yeah. You know, I would observe him. And when, when we went into the office to meet with his customers to talk about new products, I'm talking about existing customers already, man, they, they treated him like royalty. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I go, what is it about this guy? And what I what I found out is that he just knew how to treat people. From mm. the secretary all the way up to the CEO, it didn't matter. He just knew how to treat people. And, I mean, he would bring them gifts, and he's wearing bribery gifts. It could have been like, hey, I remember you like this coffee. I remember he actually brought coffee. We stopped off yeah. to get some, like, like special coffee. And I was like, what are you doing? He says, well, I know that the secretary loves this coffee. And I told her next, you know, next time I'd be in town, I would bring her that. So I, I'm just here to pick it up. And it was like nonchalantly. Yeah. And it wasn't a, this is my way of getting in type of tactic. It was like, he was genuine. He was authentic. And so, and he would do this for almost anybody. And he treated his customer with such respect and honesty. He didn't have to lie to him. He didn't have to memorize 101 closing tricks to yeah. close the deal. They wanted to do business with him because when he couldn't do something, I heard him actually say, we can't do that for you. Let me help you find somebody who can. Yeah. Or this is what we can do. This right here we can't do. Are you okay with that? And he sold like that, yeah. that people just want to do business with him because he was that honest, that authentic. And too often, if you watch some of these YouTube videos, you find people who say, you know, you got to be a little deceptive. You know, you got to mm. hold back a little information. You got to try to scam the customer a little bit. You got to work your way in, you know, ABC always be closing. And you don't have to do that. There is another way of selling. And yeah. that's what I learned from Jose. Oh, fantastic. And so when you started in sales, you moved from, you know, the application side of, you know, engineering and you've gone into the world, you've gone into sales, you've taken that big leap. Um, did you have a process that you followed or was that something you just went in there and did they give you any training? How did it start? Luigi, I was freaking clueless. <laughs> Let me tell you how. <laughs> That's the honest answer. What happened was, you know, let's talk about engineering and sales, that relationship, right? Yeah. When you're on the engineering side, you're looking at salespeople like, you know, all you guys do is go out golfing and take customers out to dinner and just basically use the, you know, the company tab to kind of just live your life. Man, it must be nice. While I'm over here <laughs> in my little engineering cove, you know, working out the system details for you, and all you do is go in there and pick up the check type of thing, right? That was my perception. Yeah. Now, I go to the other side of the fence, right? Now I'm in sales. Then the reality hits me. This is bigger than what I thought because now you have to prospect and at the same time take care of existing customers. You have to put out fires. You have to do all these things that you never thought you know, a salesperson had to do. And it was much more beyond golfing and going to dinner. And in fact, after a while, you realize that's the last thing you want to do as a salesperson is go out to dinner and golf because you can only do that so much before you say, please, no more of this. Please stop, right? And so yeah. uh, I really learned that I had to figure out my own process. But again, I had a good role model in Jose, and he was always like, stay in touch with him, yep. you know, frequently call him up, how are you doing? And he made it a point to always say, you gotta go see him. Mm -hmm. You gotta go see him. Even if we were living in uh, Minnesota at the time, so I had to fly from Minnesota all the way up north, all the way down south. And yeah. so I had to go touch my customers every so often. So there was a lot of flying going on, but he's always, you got to touch them. You got to socialize afterwards. You got to hang out. And it was less about business in many cases. It was more about, you know, just how can I help you? Yeah. And so there, you know, at that when, when I did that, we had no process. And if, you know, if I think back, you know, there was no formal process, but my process was, just keep listening to what they need. What are they doing? Keep asking questions. When you go out to dinner, just shut up and listen. Have a good conversation. And, uh, you know, in Latin America, the culture is different than here in the U.S. In Latin America, it's like, you know, 95% socialization and then 5% business. Yeah. If that. Yeah. And, so you, and again, people just want to get to know you. And the market hasn't really changed. But again, you know, the, the antes are up a little bit because, you know, decisions today are very difficult. So relationship selling has changed since when I was doing it back in, let's say, the 90s. Yeah. Okay. And what's been the biggest change that you've seen the, since the I 90s? Think the, 
Well, you know, one of the one of the things I teach in my workshops is that, you know, selling will always be known as pre-internet and post-internet. Yeah. Pre-internet, post-internet. Pre-internet, you didn't have the information. So you were willing to spend time with the salesperson to listen to them. So you can gain information. So let's say you had about maybe 20% of the information you needed to make a buying decision. So you were willing to listen to salespeople or different vendors just so you can learn more. Yeah. That was pre-internet. Well, post-internet, now we have the internet. If, uh, according to Google, you know, people look for 10 sources of information before contacting a supplier or a vendor, which means, and you've heard this phrase, they're further into the buying cycle. Yeah. Some put it at 57, some put it at 80, 90. Today's customer is more informed. So I think relationships take a back seat to, you know, business insight, you know, giving them something they don't know, the buying experience, helping them make buying decisions. I think salespeople are more important now than ever, though. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, well, if they have the information, why do they need me? Yeah. My answer is always like, that's the problem. There's so much information. Mm. Now they really need you to help them sift through making the right decision. So that's what changed. The relationship now is a result of a great business relationship. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So 100%. if we were to say business relationship, social relationship, the social relationship is now a result of a great business relationship. If yeah. you can help me and, you know, solve my problems and, you know, now I want to do business with you. Now I want to have a relationship. And that's what's flipped in the sales model. Okay. Awesome. So this is, there's a lot in that because you're right. Um, the day of, you know, salespeople have the knowledge is completely, you know, it's changed because mm -hmm. it, well, I like the way you said pre-internet, post-internet. So what do we do? And, and I've actually got this question. So I'm really glad that you brought it up. You mentioned, mm -hmm. I think, and I, I like some of your data says about 70%, the customer, um, you know, ha is there 70% into the buying cycle before they engage with the salesperson? Mm -hmm. So as we meet them at the, in that buying process, do we try to build rapport with them and develop a relationship or do we try to just close them? How, 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 how should we manage this process? Let me give you a, like a real visual example and a real example that just happened about, I'm going to say about a month and a half, two months ago to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the market for a drone, Yeah. right? I want to, I've been wanting a drone for two years. I'm ready to get a drone, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm ready. I got my budget set. I'm ready to blow 1500 bucks. That's my budget. I gave myself to go get a drone, right? Yeah. So I go over to Best Buy. Now I've done my research online, right? So I've looked up drones. So again, I'm 50, 60, maybe 7% into the buying cycle, right? Maybe 80% yeah. into the buying cycle. So I go to Best Buy because now I just want to see it. You know, internet is one thing, but sometimes you just want to look at it, right, and see the thing, that visual proof. So I get there, this big dude, I'm 6'2", this guy <laughs> had to be like 6'7", 6'8", comes over to me, says, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm looking at drones and I'm kind of narrowing it down to maybe these three or four right here. I said, let me just kind of, you know, kind of, you know, look at these a little bit. And then, you know, let me just kind of do that first. And he goes, well, if you need anything, I'll be right over here. Just let me know when you're ready. Yeah. I said, okay, great, yeah. right? So I go through it, I, you know, I read the information and I'm looking at them. You, you know how sometimes you just got to visually inspect it, right? Yeah. So anyway, five, 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 seven minutes go by, whatever it may be. I'm ready to talk to this guy now, right? Because I'm like that close to making a decision, right? I call him over and I said, all right, I think I've narrowed it down to these two the drones, right? And I said, can you tell me, you know, what are the differences between these two drones? Mm. And I mm. swear, Luigi, he starts reading the little placard with all the information on it. I go, well, I know that. I can read. You know, I, I, I didn't say that, but I'm like, you idiot. I can read. I said, no, no, beyond that, can you tell me what are some of the differences? And then he starts inspecting the placard like it was going to give him some extra information. Like, it's a crystal ball. And, and then I asked him a couple of questions. I said, well, here's what I'm really asking. And, you know, you got the gimbal here. You got the three axes here. I mean, what's, you know, technical differences? And he's like, he had that look, well, you know, I don't know. I said, you know, whatever information is there is the, is the information there. Yeah. And I said, what did you just, and I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, I said, what did you just say to me? The information there is the information there. And then I looked at him, I go, can I ask you a question? He says, yeah. I said, do you own a drone? He goes, no. Have you ever flown a drone? No. I said, okay, so, but can you tell me that, and I'm trying to be polite now, yeah. Luigi, because I'm trying to back out of this conversation. I don't want to look over and I said, you're an idiot, you know? I said, why am I, why do you, in other words, why did you say you wanted to help me make a decision when you don't even know the product? Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay. You're with me so far. Yeah. So am I looking for a relationship at that point? By the way, end result, I walked out of there because I didn't know which one to choose. Mm. 
So when yes. I don't know and I'm confused still, I'm, I'm going to take my money with me. I just walked out with $1,500, right? Yeah. And I was ready to give up. I mean, my credit card was leaping out of my wallet to give it to him, <laughs> right? That type of thing. And so if you analyze this little story, was I looking for a relationship? No, I was looking for that extra information, that piece of insight, Yeah, you know, that you know something more than I do that would help me make that buying decision. In other words, here was a salesperson who's the most important part of the process. He couldn't answer. He wasn't trained. He didn't know his product. He didn't know his product beyond the obvious. If you've heard my podcast, which I know you had, I always say this insight. I define Mm. it as information beyond the obvious. Yeah. Tell me something I don't know. And then I'll go, really? See, I want him to say, no, Victor. Here's why you want to choose this one based on what you've told me or what you want to do with it. Here's why I would choose this one. Have you thought about this? And I would go, no, I didn't think about that. And this and this. This is what you want. If he had said something like that, I would have bought right there. Yeah. Now, now notice that has nothing to do with a relationship. It has Mm. everything to do whether there's credibility behind what you're saying. Mm. So too often we get stuck in this whole, you know, relationship versus no relationship. Well, let's work on credibility and authenticity. Let's go there first. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking for in that transaction. So how important is it, and, and really appreciate you sharing that with me, and, and I've got some notes that I want to break down a little bit with you, but how important is it that, I mean, you talk about this a lot, finding the why and why people buy, right? So mm-hmm. how important is it for salespeople to really find out the why? It's really, I mean, it's an obvious answer, right? Of course it's important why. The question is, where do you find that why? Yes. And I always tell people, you're a customer. When you're not selling, you're a customer. And when you go in or see, I took that one experience I just explained to you, and that tells me how I should be selling and how not to sell. So how could he have, how could that salesperson have done it differently from the why? Like, you know, you came in, you were really, your, your credit card was jumping out of your wallet, right? So what could mm-hmm. he have done to focus on the reason why you were there to buy it? Like, what, you know, what, what could he have done differently to get the sale? Well, here's what's interesting in this situation. He could have figured out the why by just asking, so why do you want to do this, right? Yeah. Why is it, you know, but you know, that, that's the easy part. But the thing is, if you don't have the product knowledge, you can't shortcut this. You can't shortcut a sales success process. If you don't know the product, you're handicapping yourself. Because we have to know several things. We have to know people, we have to know product, and we have to know how to present and persuade. Yeah. Right? But if you don't know the product, you have no credibility. No matter what you say or how pretty your words are, or how even if you want to hug me for a relationship, I don't want it because you have no credibility. You don't know the product. And I think the point of the spear in today's market is that you got to know the product as well as the market. So when I talk about finding the why in how people buy, one of the big whys is to give the other person enough confidence to make a buying decision. Because we have this scale in our head. And if, if, you're, if you can visually do this with me as you're listening to this, on one hand, you have certainty. And on the other hand, you have anxiety. Yeah. Certainty, anxiety. And the job of every salesperson is to increase my certainty and reduce my anxiety. See, he could have increased my certainty by telling me things I didn't know. Did you know this? This could also do that. I said, really? Okay, wow, that can do that also. I didn't know that. He would increase my certainty. Now, my anxiety would be, you know, can I use a drone? Can I fly a drone? Will I be good at it? You know, maybe I'm making that up. But again, that could be my anxiety, right? Yeah. Because it's not the money. He says, and by the way, Victor, using this drone, let me tell you how easy it is to fly this drone. Within 10 minutes, you'll be up and running. And he would reduce my anxiety. See, that's the one-two punch combination. Increase their certainty on the decision they're making and reduce their anxiety. That is the why in how people buy. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. So I've got a few notes here um, that I'll need to really, really focus on in, in, in my buying process. So thanks for sharing that with me, Victor. Um, now, a lot of the stuff you talk about in your sales mastery, um, you talk about sales process. Mm-hmm. How important is it to actually have a sales process? So one, you should have a sales process. Let's yep. start with the basic assumption there. You, have a, you should have a sales process. Now the follow-up question becomes, what sales process? Yes. Right? And here's what's interesting is that, and I joke about this when I do my keynotes, that 
And I joke about all these books that, you know, here's a here's a 10 step sales process. Here's a 15 step sales yeah. process. Here's a 25 step sales process. And you, we're only human. We're not going to remember all this stuff. Right. And so I've broken it down to the simplest sales process in the world that anybody listening to this can implement right away without having to read a book. Bang. And here's right. a simple three step process. You ready? Let's do this. Here it is. The first one is you got to empathize. By the way, three E's, three simple E's. The first one is you got to empathize. By that, I mean, you got to understand where the other person's coming from. What are their pain points? What are they going through? Go back to the example of the drone. Yep. The empathy piece, he could have said, well, Victor, tell me how long you've been researching. How much do you know about drones? And I would have said, well, I don't know that much. Well, let me walk you through some of this. Uh, how long have you been looking for the drone? What do you intend to do with it, right? Yep. And, you know, again, just to really understand where I'm coming from. Now, think about a large B2B enterprise. You're talking to, let's say, the, the chief information officer, and you want to sell them some type of SaaS product, right? Yeah. Some software as a service product. The first thing you want to do is understand why they would need that product. In other words, as I always say, you got to throw up with them. you got to puke with them. you got to <laughs> understand their pain. Yeah. And if you can understand why they would need it, now you're in the game. When somebody understands you, you go, man, you get it. You understand me, Vic. So the first phase in any conversation is to be empathetic in terms of what they're going through, right? Once I understand what you're going through and what you're needing to solve, I move to the second phase of my process. Now, back to the drone example. Got it, Victor. I understand what you want and what you're trying to do. And I also understand what's holding you back. Yeah. Now I move to the second phase. Let me educate you. That's the bit, second E, educate you. At this point, he says, let me walk you through some of these things. First of all, mm. let's talk about these technical specs right here, why this is probably better than that for what you want to do. Two, also, I want to show you, let me walk you through a three-step process, how you can use this drone and how easy it is to fire it up. Now he's educating me. He's what? Reducing my anxiety, but increasing my certainty. As I said, the education phase is important. That's why if you don't know your product or service, you're screwed, Yeah. right? So if I can empathize with what's happening with the customer, what they're trying to do, then I can move gradually. Well, let me educate you what's going on. And I'm trying to help them make a buying decision. Now, here's what's key, Luigi, that if I can empathize with you, understand what you're trying to do, what you're going through, and then educate you on what I have, what I can do, and how I can help you. The third phase is the empower piece. And the empower piece is basically... Now let me go ahead and show you three options that I have available for you, Luigi. Yeah. Here's A. This kind of fits in. Now, if you're willing to spend a little more, here's B, 3C. Based on these three, based on what you want and what you've told me, can I strongly suggest number two and here's why? Now, you can choose any of these three, but at least I've given you the option, but I've also given you the benefit of my experience. Yeah. But I'm empowering you to make a decision. So empathize with the customer. Then educate them, make them go, I didn't know that. Remember, insight beyond the information beyond the obvious. That's insight. Give them something they don't know, educate them. And then, man, you can just glide into the clothes so easily that you don't have to trick people. Yeah. That's, and that's fantastic. my three step process. So I've laid down, that's my three step process. I made it simple. Yeah. And, and simple is always better. And I love this because I have, I've, like yourself, I have seen companies have over-complicated sales processes and nobody remembers them. Nobody knows, you know, the, the, the key steps. And, and, and often I see the best sales processes are the ones that are very simple. So yep. what are some of them, apart from over-complicating it, what are some of the mistakes you've seen organizations, in organizations when they've built a sales process or sales methodology that we should try to avoid? You know, I think one is that you make it too cumbersome. You yeah. know, if it's too easy to adapt to the real world, they're not going to do it. I mean, you can sit up in your ivory tower and create processes <laughs> all day, yeah. but at the end of the day, the salesperson has to hit the front line and they know what works and what doesn't work. And so the best managers try to, I guess, mimic reality with their process. Yeah. In other words, see what's going on. I'll give you an example, another story. Uh, uh, a few years ago, a company contacted me and says, hey, we have this sales guy. True story, Luigi. His name is uh, Larry. Yeah. Now, Larry, Larry's like 65, 70 years old, old dog, right? Just one of those old dogs out mm. there just still selling. But Larry is out selling 10 young salespeople. The old oh, dog is wow. out selling 10 salespeople. Like, I mean, in some, I mean, talking cumulative, yeah. not individually. One, he's like, take 10, add all their revenues up. Larry's killing them. 
And so they went up to Larry and I said, Larry, I said, how do you sell? And Larry said something like this. He says, man, I just go in there, talk to the customer. You know, what? I just close the deals. <laughs> That's what he was telling the company. So the company says, Victor, can you talk to Larry and maybe follow him, shadow him for two weeks to yep. see what he does and maybe document his sales process? I said, sure. Pay me enough money. I'll do anything if you know what I mean. <laughs> right? Yeah. And. Yeah, I tell people, dude. I'm, when it comes to selling, I'm coin operated, man. I, if you know, if you got the, you got a compensation plan, I'm in. If it's a good one, I'm in. And so they're like, okay, we'll pay you this much. I said, sure, I'd be more than happy to follow him. So I followed him around, right? And I remember going up to Larry. I said, Larry, I said, look, they want me to follow you around because uh, they want to document your sales process. Can I just ask you simply, what is your sales process? Victor, I don't know, man. I just go in there, talk to him, close the deal, <laughs> right? That <laughs> so. Now, there, there's a phrase. I just want to give you this phrase. It's called Polanyi's Paradox. Polanyi's Paradox. And basically, it means you know, but you can't explain. You ever know something, but you yeah. can't explain it? Yep. So he was a victim of Polanyi's Paradox. He knows what he does because he does it. You know, he's been doing it for so many years. Or he does it intuitively, but yep. he can't explain it. That's a real sales paradox, right? Yeah. Especially, you can't move a guy like that into management because they can't explain it. They just do. So I followed him around. And in the first visit, we went to see a small telco company. It's a technology company. And I remember we walked in. He introduced me, I don't know, as his assistant or something. I forget what he introduced me as. But we walk into the central office with all this technical equipment. And the supervisor's walking us around. Larry's following him. I'm following Larry. And... Larry walks in and goes, hey, that's a da, 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 you know, X5000. That's a good piece of equipment. Well, goes to the next one. Oh, that right there, that's a Model 9, da, da. That's a good piece of equipment. He does that like three or four or five times. Then he gets to a piece of equipment, and Larry says the following. He said, now that right there, now that right there is a piece of shit. <laughs> He's, and I'm just like, my jaw just dropped, right? <laughs> like, did you just say that? And I looked over at the supervisor thinking he's going to get offended or just waiting for reaction. And, it, and what the supervisor did literally was hilarious. Uh, not hilarious, haha, but just, uh, just strange, funny. He just dropped his head and says, yeah, that right there was a mistake. <laughs> and, and right there, Luigi, right there, you felt this connection. Yep. Because here's a guy who's walking in telling you, hey, I know that, I know that, I know that, building credibility, but also being authentic enough to say that right there, that's a, you know, that's a bad piece of equipment. And, you know, I, I learned a lot from that, that sometimes, again, you have to know your product. You have to be authentic without being offensive. And I think when we look at, by the way, what they had me then do is document. So I follow them around for two weeks. It took me about a month to write it all out in a small manual. Took Larry out to lunch. I said, Larry, you do have a process. Yeah. And then I remember I went, I, I gave him a, you know, we had some beers. We went to Taco Mac down here, gave him a beer, have, you know, kind of lube him up a little bit. And then I slid <laughs> over the manual and I remember as he was drinking a second glass of beer, he's, he's drinking his beer and looking at the man, you're going, yep, I do that. Flipping pages. Yep, I do that. Yep, that's what I do. And it was interesting because, again, he realized he did have a sales process. He just yeah. couldn't explain it. And so I think the best sales process processes are those that reflect real world yeah. as opposed to somebody sitting back in an ivory tower and just laying something out So what, what was- they think it should be. I hope you can share this with us. Um, what was Larry doing that made him so successful? Larry was one, again, he reminded me of Jose so much because, you know, and again, he knew his product. Can yeah. we just, can I beat that for the, the third or fourth, fourth time again? He, one, he knew his product. And when he talked, he talked from this point of authority and credibility. But he was always, we, we, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, right? Eye level is by level. Eye level is by level. What does that mean? Yeah. You talk at the same, you know, if the person's using certain words, you use certain words. In other words, you get down to their level or you move up to their level in order to sell them. And Larry knew how to shift from selling to a supervisor in a, in a, in a, tech, in a telco office to talking to, let's say, the CSO yeah. or some C-level person. He would switch his language up. So there was that adaptability to move from, I'm just a good old boy selling down hair yeah. to... Yeah. Uh, let us provide some executive summaries so we can go about strategic deployments for tomorrow's implementation. You know what I mean? He could yeah. do that. He could just move from one range to another. So he knew how to talk to different personas. That was one of his greatest gifts. But you always felt like when you talked to Larry, he was authentic and honest. And we, I guess we don't talk about that a lot in selling. That the best salespeople don't, again, let me repeat myself, don't have to get over. 
They just have to be passionate about what they're selling and just be honest and aggressive about it. If you believe in something, if you believe in your product, guess what? You're going to sell it because yeah. you're excited about selling it. Yeah. Amen to that. That's fantastic. So just going back on that, you know, that uh, three-stage sales process that you spoke about, the emph- you know, <laughs> em- empathize, educate, empower. And I actually love the three E's. It's a, a very simplistic way. Um what are some of the things that we need to do? When we, we talk about empathizing, you talk about being authentic. What are some of the things that we can do to really empathize with the customer? The first one is the obvious one. You ask a lot of questions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, we all know the phrase, the average salesperson practices what to say. The superior salesperson practices what to ask. <laughs> because, in, because in asking the right questions, you really dig into you know, what the real issues are. So, you know, for example, hey, Mr. Customer, tell me a little bit about what you're trying to do in this market. They're going to give you an answer. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. And then you insert, then you insert some insight. The reason I'm asking for, asking you about that is because in the market, what we're seeing is this. Is that what you're seeing? And he's going to say yes or no. You see what I mean? I understand yeah. what's going on in the market. And now I'm really getting into their heads. Yeah, that's all I'm doing. I'm trying to really understand. Look, let's be. Let's say you're talking to a um, a chief technical officer or a, a chief information officer, right? You're selling a piece of technology. You just need to step back and go, what are they thinking about? Now, here's the big mistake most people make: they talk to features, benefits, advantages, and gains. They worry about quality, service, and price, right? They think that's what the customer's worried about, quality, service, price. So I'm going to lay out my features, my benefits, my advantages, and the gains you'll get. And let me repeat it again. You perceive that the customer cares about quality, service, you know, and again, price, right? Yeah. Quality, service, price. So you're selling features, benefits, advantages, gains. And great, you sell them on that. So I always use the iceberg analogy. You see 10% on top, 90% below the waterline you don't see. Most salespeople sell at the top 10%. What they see, they're worried about quality service price, so their presentations are oriented around quality service price, Yeah, which is why they talk about their feature benefits advantages. So let's say I'm trying to sell you a technology product. I show you all the bells and whistles. I do my click, drag, cut, paste, you know, all that stuff to convince you what this thing can do, generate some reports for you, check out, check out the cool dashboards, check out the analytics I got, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? And they say, we love it, Victor. Let us talk to our committee about this, so forth and so on, right? Yeah. That's what the, C, uh, the CIO or CTO is going to say. Now, Luigi, let's be that person for a second. I walk out of that room as a CIO or a CTO, and I'm like, you know, I really love the software. I can see some of the differences compared to other competitors in the market, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's almost, in today's market, there's something called product parity. All the products almost look alike. Yeah. Right? So that's why, again, the salesperson is the differentiator because what they're also buying is you. And so the, C, the CIO, CTO walks out of there going, I love this, I love this, I love this. Then the 90% kicks in. What is it going to take for me to implement this within my company? All right, so that means I got to cancel the contracts we currently have. Mm-hmm. We got to do a switch over on products. I got to retrain my salespeople. Now, how long is that going to take? I mean, do I have to transfer data? And if I do that, will that impact my delivery schedules? By how long? And again, ramp up time. So, and all these things yeah. that were never discussed in the meeting hold the customer back. So that's that certainty versus anxiety, isn't it? Yes. And so now I have this anxiety. So now the salesperson practiced the feature benefit advantage gain deal, but he never talked about the implementation issues, the the Mm. roadmap to implementing some of the uncertainties that the customer's feeling. He wasn't puking with him. He didn't understand his pain. Mm. You know, and by the way, the reason I keep using puking is because I have this joke I always talk about. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Yep. You know, sympathy and empathy. And I ask people, are, are you empathetic? They're like, yes. I go, no, you're not. And so here's the visual difference you'll never forget. You're standing on the deck of a boat. You're drinking a nice little drink. You're watching the sunset. You're having a great time on this cruise ship, right? All of a sudden, you're standing there by yourself. This guy comes wobbling right next to you, and you see him wobble right past you, heading towards the edge of the boat, right? Yeah. He gets to the edge of the boat, grabs the banister, bends over, and he starts puking his guts out, right? <laughs> yeah. And you say, <laughs> and you say, damn. That must hurt. See, that's sympathy. That's sympathy, right? Yeah. Now, if you go over there, stand right next to him, 
stick your finger in your mouth and puke with him. <laughs> that's empathy. See the difference? It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's why I always say, dude, you got to puke with your customers. You got to understand what they're going through. Yeah. And most salespeople are sympathizers, not empathizers. Yeah. They sympathize at the top 10%, but real empathizers go, okay, Luigi, look, I know you like the product. I think we have everything you need, but I'm sure that your biggest concern is how do you roll this out? How do you implement this without mm -hmm. disrupting your service? Here's what we've done with other companies to minimize the impact to your business. And then you show them the blueprint and then you show them the upside, right? Yeah. But again, you want to reduce their anxiety. And that's, on the empathy piece, that's what we miss. Yeah. Sorry for the long answer. No, no, that's good. And I've actually had a massive aha. Uh -huh. I uh, recently was working on a deal um, and there was three key stakeholders I needed to engage with, okay? And uh, I engaged with two out of three really well um, because when I, when I met with them, had the right questions and, you know, we really went under. You talked about the iceberg. We really went deep. Mm -hmm. And I was able to pull a lot of information out of them. And one of the stakeholders I found, I, I, I'm not, not sure why, but I found I, I couldn't get the information I required out of her. It got time to put in the solution together and I absolutely nailed it. But during that final presentation to the key stakeholders, there was a lot of relationship tension. And the aha for me has just gone off is that I didn't, I didn't fix or I didn't give her comfort or confidence around what her anxiety was. So I actually didn't execute the empathy, you know, the NPC stage of the sales process at the end mm -hmm. of the buying cycle. So this has been a massive aha for me, Victor. So thank you very much. I'll expect a commission check every time you make a sale, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, so that part of the sales process, so the empathy is constantly, it's constantly happening throughout every stage of the buying process from the customer, right? It just doesn't happen That's like we, 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 you know, we, we put our hands down our throat, we puke up with them. But, you know, that it's, happening, a, by the way, it's happening. By the way, you bring up a very good point, Luigi, uh, because everybody thinks that this is very linear yeah. slash sequential. Go through yeah. this process. I understand you. Now let me educate you. Now let me empower you. The thing is, you're bouncing back, especially between empathy and educate. You're ping ponging between those two. Yeah. And how you ping pong between those two will drive the last one, which is the empower what options you show them. So there's this ping pong effect going back and forth, and you'll realize that, as you as you pointed out already, that different personas will have different pain points. Mm. And so again, you know, because one may be, you know, loss of control, right? Yeah. Well, if we do this, marketing will be controlling the system more. Yeah. I don't like that. I mean, that's something that's underneath the waterline that most people don't want to talk about. But if you're in tune with your customer, you're puking with them, you get that. Yeah. You understand that that's a concern. So how do you mitigate that, you know, concern? How do you minimize that anxiety? And that's the key. That's part of the process. Again, I think in a B2B enterprise level type selling, what you're seeing is a lot of um, a lot of these no decisions, the status quo decisions, eh, yeah. you know what, we're just going to, you know, go with what we got. And eh, we're just going to hang out for another six months, maybe another year. Maybe we'll look at it next year. A lot of that is because Although you've increased their certainty on what they should do, you didn't decrease their anxiety on what would happen, you know, or how it would yeah. be rolled out. Yeah, that's a, that's beautiful. You know, certainty, anxiety. I'm going to use that. That's fantastic, Victor. So thanks. And on, so we 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 break down the sales process. You know, we've 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 puked up with them. We've empathised. We've understood. Then we've educated, and we've educated through providing insight, um, mm -hmm. having you know, giving them confidence about the product because we we know the product. Um, and we've educated mm -hmm. the customer. So we get to the point of empowerment. You talk about options. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to us a bit more about that empowerment stage and helping the customer make that decision. So we've reduced their anxiety. We've increased certainty. What are we? What else are we doing to help that customer buy? We're, we're funneling their decision-making process, yeah. especially in the empowerment stage. By that, I mean I'm educating on all things we have. Let's go back to the drone example. It's very visual, right? Yeah. Let's say that I was looking at five of them. You know, again, the person understands what I'm trying to do. Now he's educating me. Yeah. He says, Victor, based on what you want, here's some differences. Here's some differences. So here's what I want to do. Let's go ahead and take out these two because I don't think those will work for you. Now let's narrow it down to three. Let's talk about these three right now. Does, is that fair? You know, Luigi, you'll say, yeah, let's do that. So now I've narrowed you down to three. Now, 
Here are the three key differences. And then, again, this is part education, part empowering, because what I'm going to start doing now is whittling this down. I said, now let's look at some of these trade-offs or what we're going to have. And A will give you this, B will give you that, C will give you that. Yeah. If we were to nail these two, which one are you leaning towards based on your budget, based on your timeline, based on whatever it may be, right? Yep. And so the customer's going to – it's okay. You know, the, the people who wrote the book, The Challenger Sale, yeah. uh, or the CEB Google group, CEB, I think it's one of yep. – oh, I, I love that book. It's a great book. And the big thing I got away from them is take control of the conversation. Remember, mm. there was – what is it? Teach for differentiation, yep. tailor for residents, but take control of the conversation. Control. And we and we as salespeople are afraid to take control of the conversation. And if we don't take it, the customer does. Yep. Now, when I say take control, I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm talking about the customer is looking to you to help them make a buying decision. I mean, how many times can we, do we have to say that to salespeople? The yeah. customer is looking to you to make a buying decision. They're not looking to guess, you know, so they want your opinion. And yeah. you just have to back that up with some great knowledge. Mm -hmm. Here's why you want to do this. If this were mine to do, here's what I would do. Yeah. So they want you to be a little opinionated to give them ideas. And I think a lot of salespeople are afraid to do that. Yeah. So when we get to the power piece, you know, it's not so much about closing techniques. You know, based on what I've shown you, how do you think our product can help? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Yeah. The thing is, all you have to do is simple. All right. Here are three options. Based on the information we've gone through so far, I'm thinking these are the two that you probably want to at least narrow it down to look yeah. at. Would you agree? I think I said yes or no. Yeah. And either way, doesn't matter. If they say, no, nah, I don't know if I agree. I said, well, let's walk through it then. What is it you don't agree with? Let's get into it. And you're helping them make a buying decision. Yeah, and that's where you pull out the objections, right? So we get to that point. You put some options. Customer says, oh, I'm not sure about that. And you can actually go, okay, let's talk about that. What are some of your concerns? Um, so that's fantastic. If I can add something to that, Luigi, yep. you know, my philosophy differs a little bit from salespeople. You know I have a program called Response Block Selling. Yep. And Response Block Selling is about blocking objections, preempting the objections. So if I've empathized at the front end, with my customers. I also know because I know my market well enough what the objections are gonna be. I know these. Yeah, right? so you raise it, yep. And so throughout the process, especially during the education phase, during the education phase, I'm blocking these objections. For example, mm -hmm. Mr. Customer, I said, one of your concerns is that the drone won't be able to fly above a certain level. Well, there's an option within the app that will allow you, let me show you how it works, that you can change that. I just raised that objection, right? Yep. Mr. Customer, you may think that, you know, you don't want to use 4K because it uses too much memory, right? I said, but here's why you might want to consider using it and how it's going to help you in your video editing system, you know, process. Let me show you. Now, I know these objections are there because I know my product well enough. I know what the objections are. So I, through the education phase, that's important that we block those objections. So by the time I get to the empower piece, the resistance has been reduced almost to the point where you just nudge them across the line. Yeah. So you've you've completely isolated them, and not isolated, but you've drawn you've drawn out that objection early. So you've helped them raise it. I've dealt with it. I've dealt with it. I've dealt with it early. I'm not afraid yep. of it. You know, it's one of those into the breach, my man, into yeah. the breach. You know what I mean? You just yeah. go in there. I say, I know what your objections are. Yeah. You know, if you know your business, you know your product, you know your market, you know what the objections are. Yeah. And some, some salespeople walk out of there after a presentation going, whew, I'm glad they didn't bring up these objections. <laughs> if that's your thought process, you're an idiot. Yeah. Here's why. Because as soon as you walk out of that room, guess what they're going to think about? Yeah, they're gonna yeah you know, objections. I like this presentation, but, you know, he didn't talk about this. Mm. He didn't talk about that. And now you're not there to deal with those objections. So dealing with objections, it's again, you got, I hate to use the word fearless, but you do have to be somewhat fearless when you sell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting you bring that up because often I've recently closed a, a pretty good deal that my key stakeholder, um, I, he brought somebody else into the buying process and he was an influencer. Mm -hmm. um, and the influencer then had to go back and get sign off. And before we did that, we actually did a session on what are some of the questions that he's going to have? What would be some of his objections, right? So because mm -hmm. I didn't get the opportunity, which is, you know, a risk of not getting back in front of the key decision maker to make the decision, I needed to ensure that I empowered my, my influencer 
with all the information so that he could handle those objections and he could bring them up. That earlier. is true. Um, great and, point, Luigi. Great point. Love that. Great yeah. point. And it, uh, it worked to a T and um, absolutely loving working with these guys. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So look, I'm, um, this has been awesome. And for those, again, empathize, educate, empower. Um, absolutely critical. So I want to ask a question. I ask this of most guests, sales. Mm-hmm. Is it an art or a science? I think it's moving more towards a science. Okay. And by the way, and, and so I'll qualify that, not to not yep. to be not to cop out, but <laughs> I think when you're in, look, there's so many options available in the market that people really need to be educated on what they need to buy. Sure, you know, you can use the art of, you know, bait and switch, you know, sleight of hand, you know, fake it till you make it type of <laughs> strategies, and you'll close some deals. Yeah. You will. You can you can you can art the hell out of this thing and close some deals, right? But at the end of the day, if you sell something to someone that they don't need or want or will use, the long-term prospects of them buying from you again go down. Yeah. So I think, by the way, the science part comes from, and I don't mean science like hard science. I mean more of the, the, the left brain logical purchase. Why am I buying this? Yeah. And I think in today's market, people want to deal with people who can actually explain to them why they want something. And there's so much information out there that the pendulum is swung away from the art part because you kind of, you know, back in the day when they didn't have the information, you you know, you fluffed them with the BS, right? Yeah. Today, you have well-informed customers. So I think it has to be more of a science. By that, it has to be more methodical, okay. more well thought out as opposed to trying to get over on somebody with some cute words or cute phrases, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some neuro-linguistic programming crap, <laughs> you know. I'm sorry. Can I just say that? Sorry, I didn't mean to say no, that. That's... But you know what? Yeah, it's like, come on. You know that. You know that that was back in the day where people didn't have a lot of information. You know, and you know. By the way, does language matter? Of course it does. How you talk, how you speak, tone, velocity, all that stuff matters. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, people want you to give them some hard facts about, especially as you move up the price point ladder. Yeah. Because there's no way you can use the art of selling. In a large B two B sale where the the deals a million, two million, five, fifteen million dollars, mm. you better have a lot of science behind that decision making process. Return on investment, total cost of ownership, break even points. This is science stuff. This is data. Yeah. This is information, not art. So you know you still need the art part when you do your cute presentations with your nice powerpoints. But at the end of the day, you got to make a logical argument for why something should buy. Somebody should buy something. That's a fantastic. Answer. And by the way. I, yeah, can I qualify that? Because people always ask me, so you're telling me people buy logically, not emotionally. Well, look, at a subconscious level, I think we make an emotional decision, mm. right? But I think we look for the data to justify why we should do it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Again, if I'm, I always tell people, if I'm buying a $10 watch, yeah, you can probably sell me emotionally through the art of selling. Mm. But if I'm buying a $5,000 watch, you know, even a $5,000 watch, if you, you can tell me about all the movements, that's still an emotional buy. Mm. But at least you're going to have to give me a logical reason why I should buy it, you know. So I think if you do retail, it's more emotional. If you yeah. do technology on that side of the fence, I think it's more knowledge base. Yeah. And I think, you know, the key to that, as you mentioned r- right at the start, it's critical to help. It's critical that you're going in there with authenticity because if there's no trust, doesn't matter how mm-hmm. much science you've got. <laughs> It's very unlikely that you can get a deal when the trust is very low because then anxiety would be high. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that with us. So if you could actually go back in time and do it all all over again, what's one thing you would do differently? Well, that's a good question. Um, I always tell myself I don't want to do anything differently because I like where I'm at. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm very happy where I'm at. Yeah, I'm very happy where I'm at. I said, I don't want to change anything because then I wouldn't end up where I am right now. So the question is always like, I always ask myself, well, if I was unhappy, then I would want to change something. But yeah. because I'm happy with where I'm at, eh, let's not mess with it. You yeah. ever see those movies where they go back in time and they change one thing? Yeah. And then, then it ripples out of control. So I don't want to change anything. Okay. Uh, from, from, a, from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I am gold. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. If I, had, I haven't got my bell here. Otherwise, I'd ring the bell. That's fantastic. And for those sales professionals, business owners, entrepreneurs, anyone listening to this show, what's after listening to this, what's one thing that they should do immediately 
to if they to just increase their sales, yes. become great sales professions professionals. Look, I have uh, go to my website victorantonio.com. Yep. I have something called it's an online academy. You know what it is? It's a sales, sales mastery. mastery academy. Yep. And it's like, you know, today's price is 30 bucks. It'll probably go up per month. That's 360 bucks per year. Yeah. That is the best return on investment you will get in your sales career. If you're really serious about being in sales, being good at it, especially, you know, if, if you just want people who give you great information without the BS, which is what I think I do when I do these courses, we have about yeah. 35, 36 courses. Uh, it's a great investment. Do that one thing. 360 bucks is not a lot of money for a whole year, you know, to invest in a career that's going to help you make not tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of dollars if you do it correctly. And for those of you who are starting out in sales, I'll say this, sales is a noble profession. It's a great profession and you can make a lot of money helping a lot of people. Oh, fantastic. And where else can we find you? Um, I mean, and I'll put that in the show notes on Sales Mastery, but I'm going to put put it out there. Finding the why in how people buy is a fantastic podcast. Um, I probably yep. listen to it uh, every day because it's very short for the guy, you know, it's, it's 10 minutes. There's some longer episodes in there, but it gives me, you know. I try to keep it. It's fantastic. By the way, I kept it to 10 minutes. Yeah, thank you. I kept it to 10 minutes because of people's attention span. Yeah. So. You know, it's called the Sales Influence Podcast, Finding the Why and How People Buy. And so just look for Sales Influence or Victor Antonio. And uh, you've heard the 10 minutes. I get yeah. in, I get out. But that means I raise I raise an issue. Let me solve it. Later, got to go. Yeah. I, I love it. So really appreciate you sharing um, the story with us, Victor. I'm, a, I'm a, you know really grateful for the content you're putting out. I appreciate you, man. So thanks so much. And I'd love to get you back on another day to break down band or scripts or whatever it might be because uh, you're just a wealth of knowledge. So really appreciate you having on our show. You're very welcome. And let's do it again, Luigi. Let's do it again. Thanks. (laughs) How good was Victor Antonio? This guy's had the stage with, you know, Grant Cardone at 10X conferences, engaging with thousands of people, talking about his message to get people to take action to be the best person they can be. But I want you to hear his message and, and go back if you need to and actually focus on some of the key messages that he spoke about, right? His sales process is simple, three steps. He keeps it as simple as can be. He uses the keep it simple, stupid methodology, right? So. Think about the sales process you're executing on a daily basis. Think about, are you complicating? Are you making it difficult for your customer to take action? And if so, go back, make it simple. Figure out, right, what are the key steps the customer needs through their buying process? And how can I mirror my start sales process to meet that customer and help them get through the sales process? Because our job is to make it an environment that it's easy for them to purchase, yeah? So go back. Listen to some of these tips, write it down, connect with Victor, look at his content because the guy is the real deal. And remember, I want you to be the best sales professional you can be. 